Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Keep it pondy. Hey, hey, who's that? Hey, everybody. How are you all doing? Welcome. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast, and thank you all for tuning in tonight. We are coming to you live from blogtalkradio.com, broadcasting around this bright blue ball we call our home, and right to you. This broadcast is also available for download, so you can listen anytime. You're listening live at the moment, but you can just go to blogtalkradio.com slash thepondhunter, and you can check out all of the archived shows there and listen at your convenience. Or check me out on iTunes. You can do a search for The Pond Hunter, and all of the archived episodes should pop up. So check it out. Tonight is episode 20 of The Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast. Wow, 20 episodes deep. Very cool. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys have been catching them all. My name is Mike Gannon. I'm your host this evening, and I am very happy to be here with all of you. Hey, everybody. Do you believe that, that, that I'm even saying that? It's kind of crazy. I hope you guys all enjoyed a very nice Thanksgiving or whatever holidays you are celebrating this time of year. Um, or if you're listening from abroad, I hope your holidays are starting off beautifully with family and friends. It's hard to believe that they're already here. Um, I had a real nice Thanksgiving with my family. I'm still full. I mean, man, so much good food. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Me, I'm ridiculous. I'm still full. And, um, you know, we're just getting started for the holidays. So, uh, here. So I'll take it. It's great. I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, so welcome, everybody. Jesus greetings. How's everybody doing? We got a good show in store for you tonight. My guest is Charles B. Thomas. And um, Mr. Thomas is former president of Lily Ponds Water Gardens, a uh, major water garden supply company here in the United States, down in Maryland, which was founded in 1917 by his grandfather, Leicester Thomas. I hope I'm saying that right. At that time, Lily Ponds was known as Three Springs Fisheries, and uh, Charles became president of Lily Ponds Water Gardens much later, of course, in the uh, late 1970s. And to this day, it is still a family business. Charles is an international water lily and water garden society hall of fame inductee, along with many other who's who in the water gardening industry. And he'll be here tonight with us to talk about 20th century pond keeping. Yep, that's right, here in the United States. So stick around, and if you'd like to talk with Charles or have a question, the number to call in is 914-803-4 
That's 914-803-4557. And uh, Charles will be on with us shortly, and he's a wealth of water gardening information and history here in the U.S., so stick around. Um, Another wealth of information, Ed Blue is going to be joining us on the next Pond Hunter radio broadcast. Ed, the scientist from Pond Stars, the TV show. But Ed Ballou is not just a TV star, you know. Ed is a trained biologist, limnologist, and he is Chief Sustainability Officer at Aquascape Incorporated, where he has been a, I would say, one of the founding members of that amazing uh, company. Ed is a world-class pond builder with field experience second to no one. And, yes, a TV star as well. His show, The Pond Stars, airs on Nat Geo Wild. And Ed will be joining us December 17th on the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. Can't believe I'm getting Ed Blue. Be sure to listen to this show, but you have to tune in live to talk with Ed, and that will be episode 21, uh, December 17th. Almost the last show of the year. Like 2014 is coming to an end, everybody. Pretty darn soon. Um, on the last Pond Hunter radio broadcast, my guest was Kelly Billing from Maryland Aquatic Nurseries. Kelly was awesome. Kelly was an awesome guest. I met Kelly uh, last year, er, earlier this year, and um, I've been following her stuff for a while. She is an expert, um, and I got her to come on the show. So Kelly is another wealth of information on water gardening. Um, you can find her books, The Lotus, Know It and Grow It, and The Water Gardener's Bible, both on Amazon.com. Or you can visit her on Facebook. And I hope you all tuned in to hear Kelly. It, really, it was a really good show. Um, and again, you can download the archive shows anytime to catch her show. Kelly and I kind of gave the rundown on creating a water garden, plant selection, plant placement, uh, aquatic plant care, of course. I mean, really uh, a good show. Some real complete information. I think um, you guys would do very well tuning in and checking that one out. That's uh, episode 19, talking about water gardens during wintertime. That's okay. It's never too cold to talk water gardening and pond keeping. But it is cold for many of us right now. Some of us in the warmer areas can still enjoy our ponds. You are the lucky ones. Y'all got plants and active fish. In colder zones, like mine, our fish are not active and our plants are pretty much asleep now. They're not doing too much. But just because it's cold out does not mean we can't enjoy our ponds too. And at the very least, we need to be checking on our ponds if you're not going out and actually enjoying them. At least you got to be monitoring. Right? So don't let that get a hand on you because before you know, you know it, you're going to find that maybe... You need to be out there for something, and um, the weather's freezing. So take advantage of the the cold and chilly weather before just really completely freezing weather. Um, I really hope by now you've all done your winter prep on your ponds. Um, I hope you have your de-icers installed. Your aerators should be installed if you're in, say, zone 5 or or lower, Um, even zone 4, you know. uh, I'd say leaves are pretty much down. So if you want those nets to come off your ponds right now, do it. Which, by the way, 
the holidays, everybody, and you're busy, so call your local pond professional. They can get it done for you, and you will have more time to enjoy the holidays, right? Now, go look up your local pond pro and say hi, and that way you get to have a nicer holiday season and everything's all taken care of and you can relax. So, um, but anyway, you, you need to have stopped feeding your fish if you're in the colder zones, um, like I said, zone five and, and lower, even zone four, um, uh, six needs to be closely monitored uh, for feedings. So remember, your fish cannot metabolize the food they take um, in this time of year. So don't have, end up with issues with your fish a few months from now and be wondering what happened today to my fish when really it may have been from feedings you gave your fish a few months back when they should not have been eating during the wintertime. So just be real careful about that. It's hard because you have those days where it's real warm and uh, the fish do come up and, you know, you're like, my God, they, they haven't eaten in a while. I've got to give them some food. You've got to avoid that temptation because what's warm today in the winter could be 30, 40 degrees colder tomorrow. So um, don't do that to your fish. Uh, just wait till the right time of year comes around. And that, of course, is depending on water temperatures. So, um, you know, too many times it's like we just look at why did my fish die today, and, and it really is a result of something that happened a month ago. So be vigilant. Make sure also any equipment that needs to be winterized and put away has been winterized and put away. Um, a lot of our gadgets for our ponds cannot handle freezing weather. Our modern pond keeping equipment has its limits. If you have gotten away without damaging any of your equipment yet, consider it the luck and get those things winterized. It's expensive, you know, to lose something like UV sterilizers. Those really can't be left out during the wintertime. Not if you live in an area where you get freezing weather. Don't leave those things out. If you have pressure filters, feed filters, certain types of um, filtration systems can't be run you around. It's just the way it is. Some can, some can't. So just make sure you're um, winterizing things now so you don't have to deal with new equipment purchases or just heartaches in the springtime. It's true. Our, our modern day equipment definitely has its limits. Um, it's very interesting, I think, being in the age of 21st century pond keeping Huspers are, are an interesting breed of people. We are we are a tribe. Did you know that? We do. We behave like a tribe. Um, however, the 21st century pond keeper is radically different than any other pond keeper in time. Radically. And we are just beginning to make our mark on the very long timeline of pond keeping history. The fact that you're listening to this show is indicative that you are, in fact, a 21st century pond keeper. I call us aquatically obsessed. Some call us pondaholics. Keechy, pond crazy, label us however you want to. I can assure you the 20th century pond keeper was not listening to Pond and Water Garden podcast. That, my friend, is a curiosity of the 21st century pond keeper without a doubt. Um, it's interesting. The 21st century, when you look at it, even though we're, we're not that far into it, it, it's experienced a pretty massive shift in pond keeping, water gardening, koi keeping, um, however you want to look at it. 
uh, especially the second decade of the 21st century, which is like right now. Birds have become connected literally around the globe. Of course, because of the Internet, the show is broadcast around the world. I kid you not, instantly. As it's being spoken, there are people across the ocean listening right now just like you. Through social media, um, I can see ponds and water gardens from around the world of every type on a daily basis. We pond keepers of the 21st century are more informed, for better or worse, than any other pond keepers in history. Our pond keeping learning curve has become more of a learning spike, and uh, we are pretty nifty little creatures, and it's fun to be a part of this 21st century transformation in the world of pond keeping. Everything is changing. Uh, as I've said before on this show, pond keeping is not anything new. Pond keeping, be it fish keeping, water gardening, or the creation of water features and the art of water shaping has been around for millennia. I'm talking pre-biblical. Pond keeping has been a human endeavor since ancient times. And along that timeline, there has always been shifts that have occurred. It's not documented, but maybe one of those first shifts was when that first pond was built for pleasure instead of food production. Think about that. That would be a massive shift, you know? I mean, really, that's a massive shift. Or how about when aqueduct systems were invented and perfected? Now, with water on demand, which mankind had never had before, we could now shape water into displays like fountains. We could show it off. It was gold, opulent. That would be a shift. And I would bet for a very long time there were not many major shifts to pond keeping, probably hundreds of years without progress or innovation, but probably also never really moving backwards either. Some of the more modern shifts occurred in the late 19th century, uh, with one of the biggest shifts at that time being the cultivation of hybridized, colorful water lilies. Water lilies were not new at that time. Water lilies were uh, well-recognized, but colorful hybridized lilies uh, was something very new. Can you imagine being used to only seeing the white lily, which is the natural state of the lily, and then coming and seeing somebody's garden with these bright, colorful, cheerful blooms floating around all over the place? I must have been like, oh, my God, check it out. Anyway, um, that was a big shift, and lots of that work was done in Europe. The Frenchman, Joseph Latour Marliac, Again, my, my French is not that great. But uh, Joseph Borey Latour Marliac was setting the benchmark for water lilies pretty much to this day. And we're still using some of his varieties. They're still some of the most popular. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and those, those water lilies, those colorful lilies, were made popular at that time by the work of artists. You know, um, probably the most popular, definitely the most popular, being Claude Monet and his series of paintings simply titled Water Lilies. Late 19th century, they were really into it. Water gardening, pond keeping. Across the pond in America at that time, it was happening here. 
not as intensely, but guys like William Tricker were establishing the tradition of water gardening here in the U.S. with his company, Tricker's Water Gardens. They were established uh, in like 1892, along with a handful of other water garden businesses. However, the 20th century was a time in which another shift took place in the pond keeping world. Even though water gardening and pond keeping had found its way into early America, it was a quiet pursuit by mainly the well-to-do, a gentleman's pursuit. It was not likely a pursuit of the working class. Um, you know, they weren't coming off a day working on the railroad and then going home and sitting by the pond uh, and chilling out. So what water gardening and fish keeping was a pleasure pursuit of the wealthy in the late 19th century and earlier. Um, but the first half of the 20th century, to see that change here in the United States. Water gardening and fish keeping was a fledgling industry here in the U.S. In my opinion, two things created that shift. Um, one of them was America's growing middle class who had a little bit of expendable income. They could afford to have a hobby. And the second was mail order catalog merchandising in the United States. It really changed way people buy things, how people buy things, the availability of materials and supplies for everything. Um, and, of course, that's going to affect the water gardening industry, industry as well. Many companies can now sell their products nationwide. A water lily grower in Florida, for example, now had a national customer base. The shackles of only being able to sell goods in a local regional market had been cast off, and ornamental pondfish distances, aquatic plants, the roots, cuttings, and seeds could be shipped cross-country or internationally. I mean, a new age had begun in the timeline of pond keepers, a new age that we'll be talking about tonight with our guest, Charles B. Thomas. Coming up in just uh, a minute or so. Um, so we're going to go, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get into tonight's topic. So Thanks, everybody, for being here, and um, stick around. We'll be right Do you back. love your pond? Full-service aquatics, water garden, and koi pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full-service aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full-service aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. Visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a full-service aquatics pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full-service aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. That's right, loveyourpond.com. That's my website, the home to full-service aquatics. Interested in a pond? Well, we can build that for you. You need services? We provide them. Got a problem? We got a plan. So full-service aquatics is serving the New Jersey area since the late 20th century, since 1995, and moving along very well here in the 21st century, fullserviceaquatics.com, baby. So us 21st century pond keepers are pretty nifty, no? We have ponds that come in complete and easy to install kits. Yes, 
pretty cool. We have high-quality specialty equipment now. We have koi and goldfish that are bred domestically and widely available, and we can get a wide variety of aquatic plants locally or just a click away, and the Internet lets us instantly talk with other pond keepers from around the world. Airplane or boat trips are necessary anymore. We got podcasts. We got videos. We got social media. We got our own TV Mm -hmm. shows, and we're setting the course for future pond keepers. Yes. That's another I guess tonight, yeah. not only witnessed and participated in the advancement of water gardening, but yeah. he comes from a long line, a long family line of tradition of pond keeping, um, and a family that in large part helps all of us become 21st century pond keepers and water gardeners. My guest tonight is Mr. Charles B. Thomas, and I'm honored to have him on the Pond Hunter radio broadcast. Charles, are you on the line? Yes, here I am, and I'm honored to be Hi. here. Thank you. Hey, I'm I'm honored to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on this evening and and uh, talk water gardening with us. Very good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. well. That's good. How's the weather? Yeah. Well, it's been going back and forth. You know, we're making the transition from a, a extended fall to a little bit premature. Uh, winter weather with uh, school cancellations and all, so we're so we're going back and forth uh, here in South Central Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, school school cancellations already. That's that's not a good uh, good sign. And I'm not too far away from you. I'm I'm only a couple hours away, but we haven't had um, too much bad weather just yet. But uh, I'm sure it's right around the corner. <laughs> yes, well. You're uh, a little closer to the uh, ocean uh, moderation there that you get in New Jersey, and we're just at the beginning of the Appalachian Mountains here near Blue uh, Blue Ridge Summit in Pennsylvania. Ah, there you go. Okay. Well, I hope your holidays have started off nicely. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Yes, uh, lovely Thanksgiving, and uh, I got around to see grandchildren, or grandchildren came to see us, whatever, we have uh, four daughters and uh, 13 grandchildren. Or, yes, 13 wow. grandchildren. And uh, our oldest daughter uh, operates uh, Lily Ponds. And uh, our third daughter is married to the brother of the first daughter's husband. <laughs> and uh, he uh, is there with, with uh, Margaret and they operate uh, the water garden business there. Wow, so still very much a strong family business that you're you're retired from the family business. You're certainly not retired from uh, 13 grandkids. That will keep you busy. That keeps me busy, and uh, since I have nothing better to do, I even uh, devote my daytime school day time to uh, substituting in the local school district. Oh, really? What kind of uh, subjects do you substitute for? Uh, Everything that's offered from K to 12, but mostly in the high school and when not there uh, in the middle school. I'm usually at the high school about three days or so a week and the middle school two days, but it varies from week to week. Ah, 
That must be very rewarding. My brother is a teacher, and he absolutely loves this. I have a, a couple teachers in my family. Yes, and you were speaking about Claude Bonet, and uh, I have a number of Claude Bonet ties uh, <laughs> to benefit to benefit the young folks so they can see the beauty of his artistry and the beauty of his subject, that being, of course, the yeah. water lilies that you had mentioned. Yeah, I mean, he, he did a whole series of water lilies paintings. I, I, they've been featured around the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he he is really quite an icon in the for water gardening, um, yet more so, of course, in the world of art. Um, yeah, the two are so inter- intertwined at times. It's hard to tell where art stops and where water gardening starts, and it's it's really a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, speaking of that, uh, a few years ago, well, probably more than a few years ago, the International Water Lily Water Garden Society had their annual symposium in in uh, France, and we went both to uh, Monet's home. Uh, at Givernay, outside of yep. Paris, and then we took the train and went to the southern part of France and visited the nursery, uh, formerly operated by Latour Marliac, whom you mentioned as a great yeah. hybridizer. Yeah, that's very interesting. That would be a trip I think I'd really like to take. I think oh, um, Monet's, yeah, the, the Monet's Garden, I, I think, receives about a half million visitors every year. It's pretty amazing. Yes, and it's well worth worth uh, a trip there. Uh, if you can uh, arrange it, I highly recommend it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that the, the, between those two, um, I had read in just some of the reading that I've done that at the World's Exposition, the World's Fair in Paris, I think it was 1883, maybe 1893. Um, um, that's yeah. where, where Marliac first introduced his hybridized water lilies to the public. And uh, from what I understand, Monet was an attendee to that World's Fair, as many great minds were. Thomas Edison was there. There was a lot of great minds. And that's where he came across these beautiful water lilies that he fell in love with and then started painting obsessively for 20 years. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and it's a wonderful sight to uh, to behold. Those uh, Marniac water lilies are, are still uh, gracing the... Well, he has one large pond, and then there's uh, another uh, a smaller one. But uh, yeah. really, really... Beautiful sight to behold. Yeah, I can I can only imagine at this point. I hope one day to to view it personally. So you've had quite an odyssey, uh, really, in, in water gardening. What first got you into water gardening? How, how did you become involved with it? Well, you were pretty, uh, you were pretty young. Well, yes, actually, uh, uh, before I was old enough to even go to school, I don't know, maybe I was. Four years old or so, uh, at least I was old enough to remember it. I literally went into my grandmother's pond. Uh, someone had placed a board across their oval pond, and of course, uh, I thought, "Well, what a delight! I'll, I'll just walk across it." Well, don't you know? Halfway across, I fell into the pond, and uh, I, I certainly didn't mean to go there. And, and I loved their water lilies and all. 
But I must say I was happy when the older cousin uh, happened to hear me splashing around and dragged me out of the out of that pond. But I've been in water gardening ever since. Wow. And I mean, it was in your, it's in your blood. That was your grandmother's pond. So your grandmother was a, a pond keeper as well. Yes. Um, her father was uh, an engineer in road building and like. And, of course, in those days, yes, I guess now, a lot of the roads were built of concrete. And so uh, he had his men to build a concrete pond for her. And my grandfather became interested in water gardening because his future son-in-law, my father, would bring water lilies to court his daughter. And huh. so uh, there there was water lilies in the making of romance there, you see. So yeah. I don't know whether that gives any of our, our young people ideas, but uh, water lilies could be quite effective in courting. And I know when I was uh, in high school and college, uh, every summer... Well, spring, summer, and fall, as long as the water lilies were out, I always had uh, some to take to my girlfriends. And, of course, uh, it pleased not only the girlfriends, but the mothers and fathers were charmed by the lilies. And I yeah, was the only one uh, who ever brought them, you see, <laughs> in those days. Yeah. And you brought them as a, uh, just as what, a, a, a token? Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And, of course, I would have to give them instruction about uh, having them uh, so that they, the stems won't fall over and that they're kept out of the draft and so that they understand the daily opening and closing of the of the blossoms. Yeah. So when I go to impress my wife's parents, should I bring a 16-inch potted water lily or a 24-inch potted water lily? Well, uh, that would be fine, except the uh, uh, 16-inch ones are a little tough to carry when you're all dressed up to go out dancing. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, so I think I, 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 I would, uh, Yes, I would suggest the bouquet if, if you're going out for the evening. Now, okay. if it's a Saturday morning, uh, a pot of wood would be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to refine my technique a little bit. I, I admit that. Um you know, I, I think it was interesting because I've, I've read uh, some of your background, and one of the things I kind of caught was that now at four years old, you fell into a pond, and that that yes. water lily was actually a variety that was named after your grandmother. Is that right? Did I read Yes, that my paternal, my father's uh, grandmother, and uh, it was a creation of my grandfather for his mother, uh, who would be my great-grandmother, yes on my father's side. And in those days, uh, women, married women were often referred to by their husband's name with the Mrs. in front of it. So uh, following that custom in the culture of the day, uh, he named it Mrs. Curtis W. Thomas or Mrs. C.W. Thomas. It's a lovely ah. pink, pink water lily, very fragrant, very fragrant. Ah, that's beautiful. Um, and your mother also had a water lily named after her. Yes, uh, the Virginia is uh, is named in her honor, uh, and its uh, ancestry goes back through to uh, Sunrise, a, a yellow, whereas the uh, Virginia is a, a creamy white 
uh, Lily, and uh, also Louise, which is a brilliant red water lily, hardy lily, that uh, uh, I've always admired ever since it's been around, which I guess goes back to around 1960s or so, 1960-something. Wow. Yeah, it goes back a little bit. The lily and the lotus named after you. (laughs) Yes, that was uh, created by uh, Perry Slocum. Uh, who yep. operated uh, first? He had water lilies at Cortland, New York. Uh, I believe it was may have been on his uh, family's dairy farm, and then he opened up a business that uh, later included mail order in Binghamton, New York. He operated that uh, in in Binghamton until the uh, interstate highway took it because they. It was uh, near near a branch of the Susquehanna River. Anyhow, the the uh, new interstate highway took up uh, a good portion of his property, so the uh, that was bought, and uh, he couldn't operate his nursery there anymore. And he'd always gone to Florida in the winter time, and he loved Florida. So then he uh, set up his business in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. And uh, yeah. then he re- he retired from that and uh, went to uh, North Carolina, where he opened uh, Perry's Water Garden, which is now operated by stepson. He, his uh, first wife, Trudy, died uh, when when they were in Florida, and then he moved up to North Carolina, and uh, then he met uh, Maggie Bell, and he named – there's a – Lotus named Maggie Bell Slocum, too. So that was his second wife, and she had a ready-made family. And uh, so her her oldest son uh, now operates Perry's Water Gardens. But he uh, Perry was the uh, first one who introduced a lot of hybrid water lilies uh, here in the United States. And uh, I was honored to. But he named one of them after me. I'm, I guess I met the Slocums around 1946. Uh, that was the year after the war ended. And uh, as late as 1945, gasoline was rationed, and unless a trip was necessary, you didn't take it here in the United States. But yeah. uh, then in the summer of 46, uh, it opened up. And so one of our first trips that summer was uh, to go to Binghamton, New York, and uh, visit with the Slocums. And his son, Peter, uh, uh, took over, going back now to Florida, his son, Peter, took over that uh, business. And then, uh, I guess, maybe 10 years or so ago, uh, I guess he had an offer he couldn't refuse, and he uh, he sold the property there, and it was uh, promptly uh, developed. I believe there are apartments there now. I'm not sure. Huh. Wow. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. The um, that could because you come from a family, a long family tradition of uh, this business and the Slocums as well. So these seem to be very family oriented. And it was your well, grandfather who actually began the business, uh, your family business, in 1917, wasn't it? That that's correct. Uh, and it was called uh, Three Springs Fisheries. 
until the, uh, oh, I guess in the mid-70s, shortly after uh, I became president, and uh, I realized that the the uh, the water guarding business had great potential for expansion, and uh, around the same time, goldfish production was uh, going south, uh, like into Arkansas and Mississippi, where they also had lots of uh, catfish farming and other fish farming, uh, tilapia and the like. And in those southern states, the uh, fish growers can get two crops per year, whereas farther north in Maryland and other places, you just get basically one crop per year. So they had certain economic advantages and the transportation change so that uh, they could uh, ship by air all over the country and uh, transportation used to be limited for fish according to what you could send by railway express or by by truck. So anyway, um, I gave up the uh, goldfish business and uh, which when I took over was approximately half of the business and <clears throat> shut that down and expanded the water gardening, which uh, before long, you know, more than replaced what we lost in the goldfish part. Huh. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I, I look back and in my mind, I'm, I'm looking at 1917 and saying, what an unusual business to get involved in selling goldfish um, and selling aquatic plants. Because it, mm-hmm. it, I, I try to understand how the hobby was at that time, and um, I'm not sure if it was a hobby the way we think of it today, or were who, for example, would Three Springs Fisheries sell to? Was it was it a hobby market, or was it more that they were selling to botanical gardens and places like that? The uh, goldfish business uh, was mainly for uh, customers who wanted to have goldfish in a bowl or in an aquarium. <clears throat> Excuse me, that that was the main part of it. And um they they the fisheries that produced for them were located uh along a similar around the same latitude across the country uh in Maryland. In fact Frederick County where Lily Ponds is, uh I guess they had there was maybe a dozen or more goldfish farmers. Uh, the the uh, the water temperature was uh, fine, great, and uh, is limestone water, which seemed to help in the coloring and development of the goldfish. Uh, the same conditions existed uh, in Indiana, where Grassy Fork, uh, another huge goldfish producer at the time, and uh, Ozark Fisheries going out in Missouri, uh, west of St. Louis. Yeah, and so between those three and, and a few others, the bulk of the uh, U.S. market was within fairly easy range of truck or railway express delivery. And of course, uh, <laughs> after plastics became available, uh, fish started being shipped in plastic bags, and then they could go by air. But the old uh, old way, uh, shipping by railway express, the Fish were shipped in metal cans, and then after World War II, 
uh, at Lily Pond, or Three Springs Fisheries it was then, uh, switched to aluminum cans. And, of course, that greatly reduced the weight of the ah, container okay. for shipping the goldfish, thereby reducing the uh, the expense of shipping because they were assessed shipping charges according to weight. And aluminum, as you know, is a lot lighter than steel. Yeah, sure. So so he started this in 1917. Was was it a family business at that time? Did he get his uh, inspiration to start this business from mother, from father, or this was just his own thing that, that he started and it just went from there? Uh, my grandfather was sort of a entrepreneurial type, and uh, he, uh, in his lifetime, did this and that and something else. Uh, he was in canning business. He was in some construction business, uh, home. He was in the uh, feed supply business. And uh, he was always fascinated by something new that would come along. And I remember one thing that was new that came along and has, of course, since passed out, and that is uh, the drive-in theater. And he just thought that was a marvelous idea, and he uh, did some exploration about it, but he he never uh, built built one. But uh, I I think if somebody else hadn't gone ahead, he he just might have done that too. But anyhow, uh, he uh, he he thought that that would be a, a wonderful thing, and he had a farm that had a, a three huge flowing springs on, and. Uh, so that gave him a good source of, of spring water to uh, fill the ponds and, and grow grow the goldfish in them. Yeah, so interesting. And then aquatic plants, of course, went along with that as well. Right, and now, exactly. Uh, and he, he, I'm not sure just what year he, he uh, started with growing plants, but... Uh, the first water lily catalog uh, from lily ponds came out in 1930, and uh, uh, they, they've, of course, come out every every year, and uh, have well, often been an, used. It was, as just a, a, it was an annual catalog. Yes, it was an annual catalog, and then um, uh, I began putting out uh, seasonal ones too, and uh, so, sometimes in the form of newsletters who. Uh, Keep folks updated, and uh, uh, later, her daughter, of course, electronic age. I think she she's converted some of that to uh, electronic media and social media rather than uh, using the the U.S. mail, which uh, long service faithfully, but uh, it's uh, like yeah, I guess everything else, but it's it's uh, gone up quite a bit. At expense, and for certain things, uh, electronic media can seems to do it better. And, and of course, it's instant. As soon as you send it, it's at destination. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how things have changed. But the the catalog um, catalog merchandising was tremendous in the in the United States, and I'm sure elsewhere for for decades and decades. I remember just myself as a kid. I remember receiving catalogs. Um, uh, the famous one, of course, would be the Sears catalog with all the Christmas stuff in it. Absolutely. Uh, it, uh, stand by the mailbox starting in late August. 
waiting every day because it came in September. And uh, I remember catalogs, but they've kind of, well, you know, they're still out there, but they have certainly dissipated quite a bit because of the reasons that uh, your uh, family's business has adapted. Now you can do a lot of things electronically. And I guess to survive this long in the business, you have to go with the time. So it all it all makes sense. Sure, what, um, and of course, yes. You you were talking earlier about uh, you know over the uh, well actually over thousands of years, uh, uh, water gardening has has evolved, but it is certainly evolving at a ever grading uh, increasing uh, rate. The the uh, the changes are coming ever so much faster. Uh, I know that. For example, when one of the big, huge changes was when uh, it was no longer necessary to build a concrete pond in order to have a water garden. You could take a yeah. piece of flexible plastic uh, or rubber uh, or a preformed pond of plastic or fiberglass, whatever, and it was much easier than having to uh, build the forms and and mix the concrete and pour the concrete and let it set and, and that sort of thing. So it, it became something that was so much easier for the typical gardener to to do, to to install. Yeah, and that's, that's a, a really important shift in um, modern pond keeping because that, that really was a tremendous thing. It also allowed people to uh, upgrade and to to not get stuck at a certain point within the hobby because, you know, a lot of people tend to start small and see, hey, maybe I'll just see if I like this pond and I'll do something small. I get a couple water lilies and they don't realize that one water lily can have a very big footprint. And before you know it, it's dominating their pond. And now instead of having to break up a pond, you can almost very easily for some just pull out the old liner, make the pond bigger and line it again. And uh, I think well, it has allowed people. Yes, yeah, that, that's very true. And uh, a question that beginners often ask is, well, you know, what what size pond should I have? And uh, I've I've come to the conclusion that the best size pond is the biggest one that you have that will fit nicely into your landscape, uh, and that uh, you 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 can't afford or or can devote space to and in this case bigger is often better uh you know than than smaller not to say that a small pond can't be successful you know you can have one in a in a in a good sized uh vase or pot uh, above ground so you don't have to do any excavation at all but if you're you know, you'd like to really have a variety of water lilies uh, go with uh, something as large as what conveniently fits into this, uh, uh, the landscape that you have. Yeah. And, yeah. and b- bigger, bigger is generally easier because a, a, a small pond, especially one above ground, is going to have more temperature fluctuation, which can uh, slow down uh, development that the water lilies would would otherwise have, but when it's uh, in the ground, the, the advantage is that the ground itself helps to moderate temperature change, and it's uh, you know more more consistent for the plant either in a long term warming or or cooling. However, the 
season may happen to be at any particular time. Yeah, true. Those are good points. The, um, now, what type of plants were available back in, say, you know, the, the mid-20th century um, when companies like your families and, and other uh, growers like Slocum and, and these other growers, what type of plants were available? These days we have a very broad selection um, of aquatic plants. Was it, I'd, I'd imagine it wasn't as broad. What type of plants were the popular choices back in, back at that time? Well, at that time, uh, I know we water gardeners could choose from a certainly a ample variety of, of hardy water lilies, and uh, there were also uh, some tropical water lilies. And in the tropical water lilies, the new ones uh, at that time were from uh, George H. Pring, who was a superintendent of the uh, Missouri Botanical Garden. And he, uh, a little bit about him, he he um, was fascinated with orchids. And he hybridized orchids. Uh, and he, he uh, of course, orchids like a lot of humidity. And so Pring uh, found out that he could grow water lilies. He could, they would have, uh, you know, tanks of water that would make this greenhouse uh, very humid. And then he realized that with his tropical water lilies, uh, he could make a cross this year, and next year he'd have the results. But I'm not an uh, expert on orchids, but I understand that orchids do take longer than that before you'll, you'll uh, find out what your, the result of your hybridization. So he... Uh, Focused on the uh, on the water lilies, and uh, his water lilies were the new ones of the day. But even then, there was nowhere near the number of new water lilies coming out in the in the, say the fifties or even sixties or seventies uh, has come out uh, nowadays. You you can go on the internet and you'll <laughs> it seems like every day you you can see. Uh, a do water lily. And yeah. uh, uh, I guess we'll be jumping ahead a little bit, say that there's, you know, even competitions nowadays uh, that various hybridizers will uh, submit some of their new, new hybrids uh, and subject to judging as to which are the best of each year. So it's, it's uh, changed a lot in the, in the uh, water lilies, they're available today compared to to back then, but nobody complained about lack of uh, of uh, water lilies. You know, there maybe uh, half a dozen or so colors uh, among the hardies and a few extra ones with the with the tropical lilies. And uh, you know, most people in their pond aren't going to have more than five or six water lilies anyway. So if you have uh, uh, you know, uh, half a dozen or so colors to choose some from, and various tints of them uh, that that seem to satisfy the uh, the water gardeners of the fifties and sixties and seventies. Yeah. And, uh, Very interesting. Now, uh, during those, of course, there were, there were, yes, there were other there were uh, lotus 
the Nelumbo, the lotus, uh, there were uh, six or eight varieties of them that were uh, offered in catalogs. And, of course, they, as today, ranged in colors from uh, rosy red through pink to white. Uh, those are European. And then there's the Native American lotus, the Ludia, uh, that yep. uh, provides a yellow. It's a soft yellow. It seems to uh, vary somewhat because I've I've seen it fairly deep yellow and uh, others seem to be rather pale yellow and that seems to sort of occur naturally some variation in the intensity of the yellow in the uh, American lotus the ludia yeah. the ludium do you think the quality of today's um lilies and lotus is better than um back earlier than you know last century i'd say the 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 quality is is Probably similar. Um, I'm not sure about the identification. I know when the the International Water Lily and Water Garden Society was had its first meeting at uh, in 1985, I guess it was, uh, met at Long Longwood uh, Gardens in, in Kenneth Square, Pennsylvania. The uh, one of the main main points of interest on what is the true attraction? What is the true this and that and something else? And uh, I think it helped to clarify uh, what really is a true name. And um, there, there are, I guess there always have been misidentifications of, of water lilies, but at least to the purest, you know, you like to know that what you have is a true attraction or a true escarbogle or a true gone or whatever. And uh, um, when you you deal with reliable firms that uh, grow grow their, their water lilies, and you can certainly be, have, a, have more confidence in uh, someone who, who – May maybe isn't quite aware of the intricacies of uh, proper identification, but that, that, uh, I the other side of the coin is I think few people care whether it's true or not as long as it's the color they want and it blooms often enough. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess it's mainly for the purists that uh, you know they really want the right identification, but I, I suppose that. That's true in in uh, most plant uh, cultivars, whether yeah. you have the true one or not, or whether you have one that looks like the one you think you right. have. Now, the um, after your grandfather got out of the the business, I'm not sure you know what the circumstances were, but your your father was running the business for a while as well. Yes, and, uh, um, my grandfather. Uh, Retired, I guess, uh, right after the war ended, and uh, uh, I guess he he lived in retirement for oh thirty five or more years, and uh, oh. occasionally he would go over. But once he retired, he he was just simply out of it, uh, huh. and at least so far as the running the business was concerned. Um, and, but he. 
uh, he met his wife to be uh, when he was a, a young school teacher in northern northeastern Pennsylvania, Susquehanna County, and it turns out that um, that's just oh less than an hour's drive from Binghamton, New York, and uh, so grandmother Thomas inherited the family farm and uh the so after the war as they did before the war uh, my grandparents would go up there for the summer and so we'd always go up there at, at a little place called Hart Lake outside of Montrose Pennsylvania and then we go up and visit with the Slocums and that's something we did uh several times each each summer beginning after uh, World War II was over. And so that's how, for that facilitated our visiting with the Slocums each year. I'll say it that way. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now you had visited um, with the some other uh, water garden supply centers as well. It sounded almost like it was a, a family adventure to go and, these different places, and not just the Slocums, but um, when we had chatted, I, I think you mentioned uh, going to see the Tricker, Tricker Water Gardens? Oh, yes, up at uh, Saddle River, uh, and uh, we all, always went went there, and uh, then on the uh, goldfish side, we'd go out to uh, Grassy Fork Fisheries at uh, Martinsville, Indiana, which is just south of... Uh, of uh, Indianapolis, and then we'd go out to uh, Ozark Fisheries at Stoutlin, Missouri, which is, uh, in, I guess you call it central uh, Missouri, west west of uh, St. Louis. Yeah. And uh, and then after uh, Slocum's moved to Florida, well, we of course always went there. And when uh, when the Perry Slocum moved up to North Carolina, of course we. <laughs> We'd go and visit him, but there weren't weren't any places nearby that were really, you know, uh, uh, big time water lily uh, producers, and so uh, we had had to go out of state. We had to go several hours drive, you know, in order to see someone who was doing something like uh, like we were doing, and yeah. uh, of course they they would return a visit. They like to see what we were doing. We like to see what they were doing. Sure. And uh, about the only way to do that was to go visit. Make that drive. <laughs> and Ozark is still around these days, right? Uh, they are, yes. And, in fact, it turns out that, uh, oh, I guess it's probably been 30 years or so ago now, they, they bought out Grassy Fork. So uh, Ozark operates Ozark, plus they uh, operate Grassy Fork as well. Okay. Now, I have a question about Tricker, because Tricker, when you were visiting, is was in Saddle River, New Jersey. Um, That's right. Which is which is a little less than an hour north of me. Now, I believe now it's called Waterford Garden. You know, That's is that right. the same location? Okay. Uh, the ver- yes, yes. Um, the... Uh, Let's see. Uh, um, Schmidlin was the name. Schmidlin uh, married 
Tricker's daughter. I guess it was the grand, granddaughter of the original Tricker. And um, there's nobody in the family that uh, wanted to carry on the business. And uh, he he was the age where, you know, he was at retirement. And so he sought to sell the business. Well, there was nobody who would buy the most. So the the branch that sold first was there at Saddle River, sort of across from New York City. And yeah. um, and a landscaper up there uh, bought that. The name was John Meeks, M-E-E-K-S. And uh, okay. yeah. I, I've been up there a number of times, and uh, he, he has a, a wonderful operation there. And then... Um, uh, Schmidlin operated the uh, one in uh, it's Independence actually, which is a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, so he he would commute between Saddle River, New Jersey, and Independence, uh, Ohio, and uh, then eventually uh, that that part was sold too, and they kept the name Trickers there at Independence. Okay. Uh, so uh, Independence was another place where we would go to visit from from time to time. Yeah, very interesting. All these different family lineages that that had such a tradition in the water gardening um, hobby, I guess you could call it. <laughs> Seems more like yes, a uh, uh, the first time I heard somebody refer to it as hobby, it seemed strange to me. But well, when you think uh, it's it's something that uh, some pursuit that you like to do. So uh, I've come to say, well, yes, uh, it is a hobby. Although it's, uh, and, I, and I've thought that for decades, but still it seems. Uh, well, it's not the original idea with me. Let's say it that way, but uh, I recognize it as a hobby. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, now your father wrote a book on water gardening. Um, I. Tried to find it on Amazon.com. I didn't. I could not see if there's any old copies of it anywhere. Uh, yes, that that I believe goes back to the 1950s. Yeah. So so that would be roughly 70 or so years. Um, yeah. And I like reading um, that. Yes, it was uh, it was a great book, and um, then. Years later, I guess maybe it was maybe in '84. I'm not sure. Along in there, that uh, uh, I used that as a basis for my first book. Uh, that and it was published by, by the same people. Um, not well known the people are, I guess, except outside of the pet field. It was called TFH Publishing, and uh, oh, sure. they focused on you know TFH. Yeah, well, they're in New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Business, yeah, tropical, um, tropical fish hobbyists. Trop- that's it, tropical fish hobbyists, yeah. <laughs> um, and they they focused on uh, pets and and of course tropical fish and aquarium keeping and that sort of thing, and so they were anxious in branching out to include ponds and water gardens. So yeah. uh, uh, my father wrote that book, and then um, I used that as a basis for. Uh, a new release uh, for uh, the book that that I uh, I did back in about '84, and then uh, 
I've also written or co-authored four other books on water gardening. Now, are those still available? Do you know? Can those be found on Amazon.com? Yes, as far as I I know, they they uh, they can be, and uh, two of them were published by um, Houghton Mifflin, and uh, in fact, one of them was part of the, their uh, Taylor Weekend Gardening series, and and then uh, two others, or I guess maybe three others were published by um, Meredith Publishing, which is uh, Better Homes and Gardens, and it's in their ortho series of, of books. Okay. Uh, now, those, those uh, the titles and dates of publication and so forth uh, can, are all listed in um, uh, the, well, let's see. I guess you would go to um, victoriaadventure.org which is uh, a a non-profit site for water gardeners. And when you get to victoria.org, uh, you can go put in uh, into uh, – they have Water Garden Friends, and there they'll find Charles B., B. Like Boy Thomas. And on page five of that are, is a list of the books that I've written and most – if not all of them should be available at Amazon or certainly uh, used bookstores. Yeah. Okay. Great. So something for us to keep an eye out on. Um, so, when did your father get uh, retired from the family business? He retired in 1966, and then um, uh, my uncle uh, Lee Buzzard uh, became president. Uh, and in '75, uh, uh, I succeeded him as president. Yeah. Now, during the '50s, '60s, and '70s, um, the the industry was growing year after year. It, it didn't really get too flat. It seems like it actually had a pretty steady um, uptick in growth. Um, yes, um, growing. I'd say. Uh, it was not unusual to have well double digits every year, uh, uh, as as much as thirty percent uh, in the twenties and teens percent. Uh, it was growing during those years. Yes. Yeah. And of course, uh, I was doing what I could to uh, to uh, push it. Uh, I didn't have a huge budget, but uh, one of the ways that I I found effective was. Uh, after writing the, the book and uh, joining a Garden Writers Association, um, we we would have uh, annual symposiums, uh, which were national, and then we also had regional symposiums. And uh, after being with the group a uh, few years, whenever we went to a botanical garden uh, on a tour following our symposium, uh, and there'd be a water garden. Oh, they say, oh, hey, Charles, Charles, there's a water garden here. And the benefit is that these garden writers who would write um, gardening columns across the country uh, or have radio shows, whatever, uh, if they wanted some information, they would 
write or telephone me and and uh, ask uh, you know what about this and that and so then they they would say well uh, Charles Thomas of uh, of Lily Pond's Water Garden says and of course that's free publicity and it yeah. would come from the pen of someone who uh, who was well regarded by the gardeners in in that uh, particular newspaper's range or the magazine, whatever. So, I, and and also um, with in in the local community having um, things like festivals that would uh, <laughs> overflow our parking lot, which is always a a good. Thing and at least so far yeah. as uh, <laughs> as uh, pleasing uh, consumers, you know, gardeners that they would delight in coming and seeing the water lily displays and uh, attending lectures to hear about it and and uh, these various things all combined together, uh, it being being known as a local expert. Well, you you your experience is the same thing yourself. Uh, people come to to recognize your expertise, and so uh, they'll they'll rely on you. And uh, I'm sure that there are others who ask you, and then write about it, or or tell tell neighbors about it. And and these things all help to to grow the uh, idea of water gardening. Yeah. Well, people ask me questions, and I say, don't ask me. Ask Charles Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, after Charles Thomas is pretty much history nowadays. Uh, I, I leave it to others like uh, you and our our uh, daughters and the like to to uh, carry on. And you all are doing a good job because I, I I think water gardening is more popular now in America than it's ever been. Yeah. Well, I think as you can tell, we're not letting you go just yet. <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, thank you. I uh, I still ha- still love love water gardening, and uh, I I see that I, I'm sure it's going to be around for a long time. As you pointed out uh, early in the show, uh, back in uh, civilizations thousands of years ago, they realized the value of the and beauty of of um, water lilies and lotuses, uh, having an ornamental garden ponds and uh there's there's a great great history to it and of course as we also mentioned not too long ago it's evolving now and at an ever increasing rate i believe yeah yeah and let, let's hope that continues and i'm sure it will for for quite some time um it looked it seemed to me in kind of preparing for the show in the 70s there was something of a shift as well in the industry, in the sense, not not so much in water gardening, but in pond keeping, in that koi, Japanese koi, started being introduced um, out of Japan into Europe and into the United States. And I've got to think that that um, probably enhanced the, um, the hobby, uh, but also maybe had some sort of an impact on water gardening as well, because... Uh, you know, I hope, and I see some of the lines, fences breaking down a little bit, but I think the approach at first was to completely separate the idea of keeping koi and keeping 
a water garden, whereas now, like my pond, um, like many ponds that I deal with and ponds around the country, you, it's kind of a fusion where there's you have a water garden and you're keeping koi and goldfish all together um, successfully, with great success. So in the 70s, I think there was, it almost seemed like the formation of different types of groups and associations and clubs started happening, which um, you were a part of that in the 80s, in the early 80s as well, with the IWGS. Yes. Uh, well, there's two things here, the the, the COI and and, uh, and the associations. Um, I, I, I've always been delighted and thrilled with COI, you know, <laughs> They they um, add so much fascination uh, to the to the pond, and um, oh yeah, you, you know when 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 people first look at your pond as you're walking to it with them, often and especially from younger people, but but uh, often they'll say, oh look at the fish, look at the fish, and you know if if you your main thing is water, you should say oh. Oh, but how about the water lilies? But that's often yeah. the first thing they'll, they'll say is, oh, look at the fish. And, of course, it's, it's like adding another dimension to the water garden. Um, I think there there is some problem at times uh, having the two together be, uh, when the koi uh, like to, uh, well, they think that those lily pads are just, wonderful salad material yeah. and uh that that can make a, a conflict um there's <laughs> i i know some people are successful having koi and water lilies in the same pond um i think if you have koi first and then you put water lilies in that are brand new water lilies, uh, you know, a lot of tender foliage, uh, you'll probably, you're more likely to maybe have some difficulty keeping the koi away from them, and especially if the koi are big. Um, yeah. On the other hand, uh, if you have your your water lilies and other aquatic plants, for that matter, uh, established, and then you put in uh koi that are not too big, they will grow, of course, uh, you're probably going to be more successful. And uh, it also, I think, has to do with the density of stocking the koi. Uh, sure. The more dense you stock them, I think the more likely it is that they will nibble at the at the uh, water lilies. And uh, yeah. may, maybe you've had uh, input from, from your listeners uh, about having koi in a water garden as opposed to having koi in a koi pond. Yes. Yeah, there's there's lots of different types of feedback. Uh everything from yes, there's no problem to other people who say there's there's no way that it can be done. I think like anything, um a lot of times it's a balancing act and it is a way of just it, there is a way to do it, but it's it, you've got to go about it the right approach. And uh, even just some of the things that you've mentioned, fish that have never had plants before, and all of a sudden you just pop in a water lily, um, they're curious, and they're going to go mm. and they explore things with their mouths, and they chew things, and, you know, it, it, I can see how that could cause an issue. 
Um, but then there are, I think, other times where when your fish are completely acclimated to having plants with them, in, in my personal pond, for example, I have water lilies and iris and pickerel and, you know, a variety of different plants. They don't, they don't bother them at all um, because I think they've grown accustomed to it. And they're very well fed. <laughs> so there's no... Well, that's there's... another thing. Uh, the uh, less well fed the koi, the more likely it is that they will, will uh, eat, eat the uh, ornamental plants. I know at the, uh, yeah. at the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C., uh, they have a um, th- their main building where where visitors go. <clears throat> There's a moat around three sides of it, and uh, every year they put uh, they they have koi there, and they have uh, aquatic plants, especially water lilies. And one of the things that they do is they uh, have the the um, top of the soil, which is, uh, they put, I guess, uh, gravel on top of it uh, yeah. to keep the fish from rooting in the soil. But they 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 have it um, with just a few inches of water over it, and the koi are reluctant to go there where the most tender and, I guess, the most delicious uh, foliage is, uh, you know, it's just coming from, from the roots. And... Yeah, being in the shallow water uh, where the rootlets are, it, it keeps them, uh, I guess, safer is the word to say. <clears throat> and then one other thing that vo- that nature volunteers, there's a uh, um, egret that uh, comes and at least in, they used to come. Several egrets would come and look down at the koi, and the koi, I maybe sensed them, they were there and they didn't want to come up and be exposed in very shallow water with with, uh, with them close by. Yeah. The the, the other thing Our, you mentioned uh, was associations, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that the associations uh, had a big impact on water gardening. The, one of the things that I heard uh, when uh, we were talking about forming the organization was <laughs> – and I didn't know this until we we uh, were underway with the International Water Lily and Water Gardening Society, as it's called now. Back then, we just simply called it the the Water Lily Society. But it, um, the the word that I heard was that once a plant group is organized into a society, it seems that then. All of a sudden, there's, there's like a blossoming of new hybrids that come. And at the time, I thought, well, I don't see where that's going to make any difference. But lo and behold, um, if you look back at the record, you'll find that once that International Water Lily Society had formed, we did seem to get a great increase in the number of new cultivars uh, available for water gardeners. And I don't know that anybody can quite keep pace with the rate at which new ones are coming on stream now. Um, yeah. and, and for those who uh, use the, uh, say, Facebook, uh, you can find a number of international uh, water garden sites. And, and on those sites, 
the new hybridizers love to post photos of their of their newest creations and and yeah. I don't know how many of them are enhanced they're not but anyhow I mean there there's some some real beauties uh, that I see there quite frequently there's some pretty amazing stuff that's coming out that's interesting that you that you saw that correlation between the establishment of a society and and uh the I would say um you know in creative production um, yes, well, I, I I found it hard to believe that that would happen. Uh, I said, well, it might happen to other plants, but I, I don't think much is going to change in hybridizing with uh, water lilies. But it did, it sure did. Yeah. And of course, two two yeah. Americans who who came on strong were Perry Slocum and um, Kirk Strawn uh, down in Texas. Uh, he was a fisheries professor and uh yeah. besides fish uh, uh uh where he 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 taught about well ichthyology is the technical term for uh fish studies but anyhow he was an ichthyologist but his big love was uh water lilies and uh he then went ahead and hybridized uh, dozens of uh, new water lilies many of which are are popular today yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so many varieties that uh, I hope we we don't start losing some of the old ones. Yeah, it seemed um, in the '80s that there was a a lot, just kind of an explosion of growth. That's first of all, that's you were the founder of the Water Lily Society or the international now the International Water Lily Water Garden Society. Um, Correct. In in 1984, you established that. It went international in 1998. Is that correct? Uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me. It was international from the beginning. Um, oh, okay. But uh, the, uh, the uh, members were impressed among themselves how it was an international society that they wanted to call it international. So uh, that, that uh, changed it. But the, the name... But from the very beginning, uh, on our original board, we had uh, you know f- uh, members from uh, around the globe, actually, uh, in Europe and in Asia, in Australia, um, and of course North America. And uh, I'm not sure if we had any in South America at that at that first meeting, but uh, they soon came on. So yeah. it, it was uh, international in scope. Uh, uh, we had uh, British and German uh, folks there at Longwood Gardens, and um, uh, Norman uh, Getty from uh, Australia was there for our first meeting. So uh, yeah, there, there were people who were leaders in in uh, water gardening who who met there. We, we had uh, I don't know perhaps 150. The delegates there to our first meeting, which was in wow. um, at Longwood Gardens, and then it increased uh, uh, when we went out to Missouri Botanical Gardens for our second meeting, and then we went out to um, Denver Botanic Gardens for our third, and then we went on out to the West Coast for a fourth, and then we went to England. Wow, that's amazing. And then the 80s, I think, were an interesting time. It's 
fish keeping at that time, fish keeping was one of the biggest hobbies in the United States. It was, it was the third most popular pet behind dogs and cats, having having fish and aquariums and, and keeping ponds. Um, I think it, during the 80s, magazines related to the, the hobby and the industry and newsletters were flourishing. New equipment, improved equipment designs were coming out. And, um, you know, these the, the groups were forming. There was really some, and a lot of growth, it seemed, in aquatic plant nurseries. So there was new, it seemed for a long time, there was just kind of these, you know, the, the, the standbys of who has been around, like your family business and the Slocums and the Trickers and these other businesses. But in the 80s, um, other nurseries started opening up as well, um, which is interesting, which really kind of opened up the, the hobby to a lot of people. There's a lot of change during the 1980s. Well, that, that's right. And uh, transportation and plastics played a, a big role in that because, um, you know, before uh, the plastic bags, uh, it was difficult to move tropical fish in particular uh, I mean, gold, goldfish are, are tougher fish, and so they were being moved around, you know, back in the 20s when uh, there was a goldfish fad. But uh, as you point out, uh, in the uh, in the 80s, you know, the, the fish, especially uh, you know, very tropical fishes, were were booming, and, and uh, the plastics and the air travel. Uh, or air air freight, I guess it's really called, uh, made it possible for the distribution uh, at relatively low cost for for uh, fish of all kinds. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, that's when I I, I mean I, I was a kid, but that's when I I was a, I've always kept fish. That's when I was kind of very deep into the hobby. I got every magazine you could imagine. I mean, if they came out, I would try to get it. So a, a really an interesting time, and then and then came along the '90s, which again was was interesting. There was a lot of of growth, um, you know, for water gardening. Now it kind of went back to that, and aquariums um, actually started kind of backsliding as far as their popularity. Aquariums were very trendy, very in vogue for a while. Um, many many American living rooms had a fish tank, but uh, during the 90s, that, that growth kind of stopped and has, has slowly gone downhill since then. Um, but ponds and everything started really picking up because now you can get complete pond systems. You could buy entire kits. There's manufacturers who are putting out these kits, like and with you, what you had mentioned, flexible liners, uh, filtration systems, all in one, which made it very easy and convenient for do-it-yourselfers to create a much better water garden. And um, mm-hmm. it also helped spawn, I think, in the industry, a lot of um, service providers and installers of ponds and water gardens. And it has really just kind of grown from there. You know, we've had a couple of rough years, especially, you know, 21st century. But um, I think with the Internet coming about in the 90s, mm-hmm. water garden mm-hmm. and, and koi pond websites were, were born. Um, you mm-hmm. can get water treat water treatments, bacteria treatments and stuff were showing up on retailers' shelves. You didn't have to order that stuff from biological supply houses anymore. Um, it became very convenient to be a water 
to, to have a water garden. Um, and during the 90s, too, you actually you had a TV show uh, which featured water gardens for, uh, for PBS. Um, well, uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, but there's uh, Victory Gardens. I, I don't know that Victory Gardens is around anymore, is it? They, no. Maybe no. reruns of it. But anyhow, uh, Victory Gardens uh, is on PBS. Uh, it was uh, one of the most popular, if not the most viewed, uh, of, of TV gardening shows. And uh, uh, at least once a year, uh, I would be on Victory Garden or and then, uh, another one for PBS that was uh, produced in Canada. And... Uh, my wife and I would go up to uh, Canada, and uh, we would uh, participate in the filming of a of a uh, garden show, and which would be uh, you know focused just on on the water gardening. So uh, yeah. between Victory Gardens and uh, and the uh, other one that we did in in Canada for PBS, uh, uh, that got water gardening to to a lot of people via TV but it was not it was not my show but anyhow I was I was um the invited uh, specialist that that uh, appeared with the the host yeah i think it's very interesting i i don't um you know recall i tried to find it on youtube because sometimes you can find some of those older shows and they're just archived um yeah and there well, are, one there of them are, was with one, excuse me, one of them was called From a Country Garden, and uh, I, I would uh, appear uh, every year on that. And then later, um, my son-in-law, uh, Richard Kugel, uh, appeared, and uh, he, he, would, uh, he would do the show for the water gardening aspect of it. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So, so- it was a Victory Gardens. It was one PBS show, and the other was uh, from a country garden. And then there were miscellaneous ones here and there, but those those two were, I guess, more or less regulars each year. Yeah. It was the the foot in the door for uh, the water gardening industry uh, and and TV. <laughs> and now these well, days we, right. we have we have TV shows coming out that are are specific to uh, ponds. It's great. So yeah, kinda... and and I think that's going going to grow. It's going to grow, and of course, you see water gardening items, uh, and and you have now for the last couple of decades, uh, water gardening items in in the big box stores. And of course, uh, yeah. as it's typical, the uh, s- small businesses will uh, develop a particular uh, uh, group uh, product group such as water gardens, for example. And uh, when it gets to a certain critical point uh, of popularity, uh, then they step uh, step in. And, of course, that greatly increases the, the number of, of water gardeners because uh, there are a lot more people going through big box stores than are going through uh, water lily nurseries. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and maybe it will get them because – I don't think it's the best quality, but they are selling water lilies and aquatic plants. But sometimes it's, you know, just it opens the door and it gets people involved. And uh, exactly. that's a good way exactly. to do it. 
yeah, it's a good way to, for everything to grow, and let's let's hope it does. So, yeah, very interesting. Tell me about where, what's the state of Lily Ponds these days? Your is it? You, did you say your your daughter is running it? Uh, yes, our our daughter Margaret uh, has been running it uh, since I retired in in '98, and uh, so she she's continuing on with the the family family tradition, I guess you'd call it. It'll soon yeah, soon be a hundred years since grandfather started. Nineteen. That's incredible. Seventeen to uh, twenty seventeen. So that's. Yeah. Just what three, three, three years short of a century. Yep, almost there, almost there. <laughs> How <laughs> many water lilies do you think your your family has sold over the last century? <laughs> oh, I I really don't know. Uh, I never really particularly thought thought of that, uh, uh, but it it must there be a, a pretty big number. It'd be an interesting statistic to know. It really uh, would. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, I, I would be interested to know myself. Yeah. Well, I, I wish great success for uh, Lily Ponds going into their next 100 years, uh, since you've already <laughs> almost completed the first 100. And what a tremendous uh-huh. story. And, um, and you know, thank you so much, too, for, for coming on to the show and, and you know, Thank you for what you've done for the industry. I think you, you know, have done a tremendous amount. I, who knows, you know, I might not be doing this radio show tonight if not for the for the work that you did. So um, want to let you know how much I personally appreciate well, you, and I think the industry does as well. Well, thank thank you very much. But uh, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm just a, a small part of it. If if you get to read those uh, five pages in Victoria Adventure. Uh, Google Charles B. Thomas, and I think you'll get there. Uh, yeah. But uh, even there, I, I say, you know, I know that there's so many other people who contributed uh, to to the expansion, and one indicator is uh, that every year the International Water Lily and Water Garden Society uh, inducts uh, members into its Hall of Fame. And so every year since uh, 19, yeah, 85 was the first year that uh, we inducted two people into it. And uh, one of them, of course, was Marliak himself. Yeah. Uh, he, yep. he didn't live to see it, but anyhow, uh, he <laughs> he was the first uh, recipient of that honor. Yeah. And I'm sure he would have been very happy to have received that. Personally, yes, but, he. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. All right. Yeah. Well, thank it's you amazing. so much. I I appreciate it. I'm always uh, happy to uh, talk about water gardening, and water lilies. Uh, been doing that for most all of my life, and uh, it's it's really really been a joy. You know, I, I tell people that uh, water gardening is probably the easiest kind of gardening they'll they'll ever do, and uh, when I say that, they often look, oh, well, you know, it's really complicated, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, I say, well, uh, what, what, what is it you like uh, least about gardening? Oh, I, I don't like to weed. I say, well, uh, you know, you don't have to weed in your water garden. Um, oh, 
I, I overwater my plants and they die. I say, well, you'll never overwater your water lilies. You might overflow the pond, but you won't hurt the water lilies. Or just the opposite. You know, I, 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 I just forget to water my my uh, garden. Well, you're <laughs> you, you can forget day after day after day, and unless you got a leak, it probably won't make that much difference. And uh, yeah. as if you if you start right and don't uh, if, if you stock it in a way that it's properly balanced, uh, you really have relatively little little to do compared to the work it takes for virtually any other kind of gardening. So um, maybe I'm just a little bit lazy, but that's just uh, one of the things that uh, I feel about water gardening and. Uh, just the presence of the water lilies and the fragrance, especially the tropical lilies, which can easily be grown in northern climates, uh, anywhere in the you know 48 states or even parts of Alaska and of course all of uh, Hawaii, you can go all across yeah. the USA. And for your listeners in other parts of the world, uh, the water lilies will grow in most parts of the world. So it's really, really, uh, I think, a wonderful thing water gardening is. I just love it. Yeah, it really is. And don't forget the very important aspect of it, too. It really helps to pick up girls. Well, yes, yes. Uh, that, uh, that That's uh, a factor, too. And I know that from our, our family history, including my, my own experience. There you go. Well, thank you again so much. It was really an honor having you come on here. And, um, I hope you enjoy the holidays with your family. And um, well, well, I look forward to speaking with good. you again. All right. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Have a very nice evening. Enjoy the holidays. That was Charles B. Thomas, everybody, the rock that made ripples. What, a, what an amazing person within this industry he has been and. You know, he's so right. There's um, many, many people who have made all this happen for us, for us 21st century pond keepers. Um, you know, the groundwork was laid out and people worked hard and persevered and literally brought us into a brand new century, yet another uh, of water gardening. We're just starting off a new millennia, and it's been around for uh, many millennia. So, um Thanks again to Charles and to everybody who made all this stuff happen. I, I you know, like to uh, give kudos to all of them. And I'm so happy he came onto the show. And, um, you know, imagine if he didn't do this work, I maybe we'd never have this podcast. And imagine that, a world without the PHRB. I mean, that would be a very sad place indeed. So thank you, Mr. Charles. And, um, yeah, you guys can all check out Charles B. Thomas on Facebook and say hello. And um, as he has suggested, if you Google him, uh, you're going to – I'm Googling him right now, Charles B. Thomas. And the first thing that pops up is victoriaadventure.org. You can read some history, some of the stuff we, we were just talking about, but obviously much more in-depth, all sorts of really cool stuff if you're into all that which um, I'd imagine now you are into all that stuff. So Charles B. Thomas, visit him on Facebook, 
his family's business, lilypons.com, uh, in Maryland, and their website is lilypons, L-I-L-Y-P-O-N-S, not lilypons, lilypons. Uh, and a quick interesting story about how they got their company name is that Three Springs Fisheries was such a success at the time in their very small town because they were shipping so much, they were required to get a, uh, a zip code, a postal um, code. And I believe it was uh, Charles's grandfather was uh, a big fan of Lily Pond, who was a Broadway actress and an opera singer, and he named it after her. So that's how Lily Ponds, Maryland came about. Uh, that's how Lily Ponds Water Garden and Nursery came about as well. Very interesting story. And uh, how about that? Easy stuff. Lilypond.com since 1917. Going, finishing up their first 100 years. Still a family business. Still going strong. Simply amazing. What a cool guest. So, you know, we have some big shoes to fill us 21st century pond keepers, but we're already changing things. Today's koi ponds and water gardens, like we talked about, are now fusions. Koi and goldfish are kept in water gardens, or however you want to call it, <clears throat> koi pond water garden, water garden koi pond, water garden with koi, whatever you want to call it. It's fine by me. Uh, but these days, very successful and beautiful koi pond water gardens are being constructed everywhere. And the 21st century ponds are no longer divided. It doesn't have to be a koi pond or a water garden. You can have both. 21st century pond keeper can have it all. We can make ponds better than they were. Better, stronger, faster. And some people still say, oh, you can't keep koi with aquatic plants. And yes, you can. Just do it the right way. Consult with a professional if you're not sure how to go some people say, oh, my God, you can't put koi in a pond with rocks and gravel. It's going to explode. Um, yes, you can. And the 21st century pond keeper is busting all those myths. Um, and we're going to do some myth busting on the next show, too. So be sure to tune in and catch Ed Blue. Ed Blue is going to be on the show, one of the premier pond professionals on the planet. Ed is going to be here, here on this show. So you guys can't miss it. Ed Ballou on December 17th, everybody. Are you guys listening? Speaking of listening, remember, you're listening to me on blogtalkradio.com slash thepondhunter. So please give me a follow or a rating or a comment. I would much appreciate that. And, um, you know, I've also written a few blog posts on winter pond care. So if you guys um, have any questions or need some tips, go ahead and go to Love Your Pond. Dot com. That's my website. It's the Full Service Aquatics website. Go to loveyourpond.com and open the blog. It's a searchable blog, so you can just search the word winter, and you're going to get all these different blog posts in regards to winter pond care. And I'm positive it's something that you will enjoy reading. There is no doubt. Um, <clears throat> if you do it, you can find things like the icing your pond, it's part one and two, how to winterize a pond, how to winterize a water garden, how to winterize a tropical lily. Um, what happens to pond fish during the winter? 
winter clear water. So just some really cool stuff. So go ahead, check out the blog, and um, I hope you guys will subscribe to it too. I would love to um, see you guys whenever I get a new blog up. And uh, I'll be tweeting out a couple of those blog posts as well for you guys who follow me on Twitter. I'm very easy to find on Twitter, you guys, if you want to connect there. It's twitter.com slash Hunter. Easy stuff. Come on, let's get together over there. Give me a follow. Say hello. Let's connect. And, of course, you can find me on facebook.com slash Hunter. Or just look for me, Mike Gannon, on Facebook. I'm there. I'm there. Um, Let's see. You know where else I got stuff on YouTube? You guys can check out uh, YouTube. I just actually posted a new video there um, from the project that I worked on out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, that was a collaborative project that was done for the guys from the Tank TV show. You can check out that video and about 50 others on the Pond Hunter YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. Make a comment. Let me know you're out there. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys back again on the next Pond Hunter radio broadcast. Thanks again to um, my guest, Charles D. Thomas. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. Season's greetings. I hope you guys have wonderful holidays. I'll see you in a couple weeks before Christmas, before New Year's. We can um, check in with each other again. And I am going to leave you guys with a song. So keep it pondy, everybody. I'll catch up with you soon. And um, have a good evening.
been listening to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed. Keep it pondy, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe and happy holidays.